Welcome to the SJ Child Show, where a little bit of knowledge can turn fear into understanding. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the SJ Child Show. Today, I have a very, very exciting guest. Exciting for me, because I personally have been watching her um, as a doctor and an expert on the Autism Live Show with Shannon Penrod, who has been a mentor to me. And so likewise to Doreen, and, and I hope I can, Dr. Graham Trache, thank you for being Please here today. Please call me Doreen. Please call me Doreen. Thank you. Oh, it's so special to be able to connect, you know, like this and through this medium of podcasting and um, just in the world of autism and be able to really make connections and, and support one another when we find this community that we can be a part of. So it was definitely great passion of mine to, to share education and, and those things. So let's just get started and please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, you know, what brought you here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on your show and thank you very much for having me. Um, I, my, I'm Dr. Doreen Grampiche. I am a uh, licensed clinical psychologist and a board certified behavior analyst. I started working in the field of autism in 1979, which is always shocking for people when I say that. Um, So I worked at a a clinic at UCLA in the 70s, 80s, and I uh, left UCLA in 1990 with my doctorate. And then I opened CARD, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even realize that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then I spent the next 30 years uh, growing card um, to, uh, I think I sold it in 2018, and it was 260 sites and um, in all over the states. And it was um, a wonderful journey. And I got to meet uh, lots and lots of incredible people, both clinicians, uh, physicians, parents, Uh, children who taught me probably the most about autism. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky because not only did I learn a lot over time because I was around for so long, right. It's now my 44th year being in this. (laughs) Yeah. But not just that, but I also, uh, have kids who I treated who are in their 30s or almost 30. And so it's wonderful to be able to learn from them. So it's lovely to be here and talk to you. Thank you so much. And um, the amount of families that you have been able to reach, I mean, I can't say how honored it is to have you here and just to, to be able to pick your brain and, Thank you know, kind of exciting. So our our just I'll just tell you a really brief story about our family. My son was diagnosed in 2010. Uh, mm-hmm. He was reading at one, writing at two, and not yet verbal till about four. So with him, it was um, interesting. It was our first introduction to autism. And um, by that time, I was pregnant with my second child. Um, when DJ was 16 months old, he was diagnosed uh, mm-hmm. very early on. And he, at the time, I would say they would have called it severe, uh, you know, was just mostly stimming. And uh, 
just spin circles in his room. We had to pad his room and everything. So it was a very interesting experience for us, but he was also communicating uh, on this little computer and he was starting to show us like his um, exceptionalities (laughs) in that. And so we realized when he was three, I didn't actually realize until now that he's 13, which I don't even know how to say this, but we knew then that he, you know, was, was gifted. Now I know he is profoundly gifted and that's just kind of an exciting new adventure into a whole new world for me. But when he was eight, I recognized at our, you know, psych evaluation that my husband was uh, right there fitting the bill. And so I brought it to him and said, this makes so much sense. Doesn't, do you love this information? And he said, Oh, it's so great. This makes so much sense for me. I'm so happy to. So he is self-diagnosed. Then our daughter was eight and decided we took her and got her tested at the school. And sure enough, came back, you know, autism, ADHD, dyslexia. And I'm thinking, how did this little sneaky girl get past me? Like I've been educating and, and, you know, advocating and how did this even happen? So it made me question myself. And last year, I also found out I was on the spectrum. At okay. 45. So yeah, that's the wrap up. <laughs> but Got it's it. been incredible. Just this perception after perception that, you know, and just this new, I can now look as a mother, as a self-advocate, as a wife. Um, and so it's really special to be able to share these things and help others understand. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's rare, it's unusual to have uh, so many family members affected. And I think it would probably give you a very different understanding of what's going on and how it feels. And, you know, that's what I've always found to be very interesting is that I always, when my kids get to an age where they are both able to Um, analyze kind of the experience of having autism and also be able to express it. I always love to talk to them about it and say, you know, what do you think? How does it feel? Uh, And right now, actually, I'm I'm, uh, working on a book where every chapter is a different child and their family. And these are kids that I've known some for I guess, 30 years. Um, and, you know, they, they're telling, they're teaching me so much about not just the experience, uh, how you experience the world with autism, but also kind of the different interventions and how um, going through the changes and learning made them feel about themselves. Mm. So it's really interesting. Um, you have that ability of kind of being able to see it from multiple different aspects. It's fascinating. And it really brought us together as a family. Like we sure. were like, Hey, let's celebrate. Let's have an autism cake party. Let's do what we can. Cause we are embracing who we are and just really trying to teach our community. Um, that's kind of, you know, what I got started with was writing children's books. That's why how I met Shannon was coming onto the show. And then from then on, it was like, get your own podcast. Okay, (laughs) let's do it. Um, and just so exciting. The, the amount of, of connections and changes we can make. And now, sitting here, you know, on a global level, I've made so many connections. I just can't even fathom 
how 10 years ago, you couldn't have told me that I wouldn't still have a ponytail and sweatpants on running around my house. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's the only person I was at the time. Um, Just trying to, you know, learn and figure out how to go day by day. And now I'm helping other families figure that out. And it's so rewarding. Yes, I love it. You know, so let's touch on one thing that you did say, because I love the, um, to talk, I mean, not that it's, it is controversial, but it doesn't have to be about ABA and about the different therapies. And I thought it was really interesting. I had, um, you know, the discussions get really heated and can get really, unfortunately. And I, I kind of did like a little bit of a trial this morning. I posted on my Facebook, what can you name something that's been around for 30 or 50 years that has changed, but still has the same name? You know, mm-hmm. people are saying automobiles, Coca-Cola, Avon, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, all of these things have changed mm-hmm. and we don't throw them out the window because somebody had a bad reaction to a makeup or a lotion. We haven't, you know, we've, it, we realize that things change. So I think we can give the same grace and compassion and understanding to how ABA was possible, you know, traumatizing and was set in a different tone, if you will. And Mm -hmm. now things have changed and we need to give understanding to that. We need to be more flexible in thinking about that. And in the sense that in other countries, that's the only way that it can be covered by insurances be, you know, is, is to be called ABA therapy. Right. Right. And you're right. You're absolutely very good point of view. Um, And I, you know, being someone who started doing ABA in the seventies, I can tell you that it was different because, and it, by the way, it did have a different name. It was called behavior modification. And that was the case well until I want to say mid nineties. Mm. So, um, and it was the very, very early stages of figuring out that this type of learning, which is based on behavioral psychology, it's essentially I am going to reward good behavior and I'm not going to reward challenging behavior. That concept was until that time not used in autism, in the treatment of autism. You have to remember in the 70s, we're just coming off a period of time where the prominent belief about autism was that it had something to do with the refrigerator mother. Right, yeah. Bettelheim era, right? So even when I started, it was very, uh, people were confused. Everybody was like, what is this? What are What's going on? And the prevalence was ridiculously low, you know? Uh, recently, I saw a diagram because, as you know, of course, the prevalence went up to one in 36 now. But I saw a diagram that said in the 70s, it was one in 10,000. Actually, I remember that it was one in 15,000. That's Mm -hmm. when I started in the field, mid 70s. And I would say that it just nobody knew what's causing it, what it is. It was very rare. And um, we were just developing these therapies and figuring out how to take this kind of teaching modality and apply it to kids. And also the other thing I want to say is that it was, it looked different too. Like right now, the truth is we have individuals uh, such as yourself on the spectrum who are so high functioning that the normal eye would not be able to pick it up. Right. Whereas you look at autism back in the seventies and eighties 
I mean, it was, we had very, very severe children. I mean, I, we were, this is prior to deinstitutionalization. So there was, there were hospitals where the entire ward was autism. And these were children who were uh, biting off their own fingers or shoulders or banging their heads into the wall so hard that it would cause a protrusion. So, I mean, it was, it was very, very severe. So a lot of uh, what ABA kind of experimentation and things that were going on at these hospitals was to to do any kind of intervention that would stop those severe behaviors. And then it was at that point that people realized, you know what, kids with autism actually can learn, my God, like this is not lifelong. They are very able to learn. We just have to figure out how to get into their world, how to communicate with shorter, you know, uh, ways of communicating and how to reward every communication, how to replace challenging behaviors with uh, communication, all of that. And it did change quite a bit. And I would say uh, by the time it became, like I remember early 90s, um, I had opened card and I was talking to folks at UCLA still at the clinic there. And they had stopped completely, I would say at the end of the 80s, they had stopped completely using any kind of punishment or aversive. And it was all, all positive behavioral interventions. And then I would say probably mid 80s is where you started, the term changed and became applied behavior analysis. And the whole field developed, right? Before that, there was no AB, like applied behavior analysis field did not exist. It was a part of learning under psychology. Mm-hmm. So for me, people who are older, like myself, we have our psychology doctorate with an emphasis in learning and applied behavior analysis, whereas newer folks have their degree in ABA. So they just, you know, all the universities change. So we've learned a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. And you've learned, we've learned in different ways too, I would say, you know, like, uh, for instance, not just, I think the field still, by the way, don't get me wrong. I think ABA professionals still have a lot to learn. I, I, I don't think we're there yet. And I could talk about that separately. <laughs> but I do think that things have changed quite a bit. Um, it is really awesome that we look at challenging behavior. We don't look at it as a problem. We look at it as a form of communication. Yeah. And we always try to figure out what is the child trying to say? How are they, what are they trying to communicate? And how do we help them communicate it in a more adaptive way? And that's in a, in a nutshell, how ABA has changed. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it was when I was listening to uh, Uniquely Human by Dr. Prezant and I, he was saying, you know, just that the communication or behavior is communication. And I was thinking, I am doing things right. I've been doing things right. <laughs> like I get, I get this. And, and, you know, that again, those urges to how can I understand this? So, so so in, in like ingrained in me, how yes. could I be so um, compassionate, understanding to the accommodations that I give to my family and these, you know, my wonderful partner of 19 years. And here's a man who he and I have never sat at a restaurant together in 20 yes. years and wow. never will. And that's okay. I accepted that right off the bat. Did I know that it was autism? 
No, you know, I never, and now I, I, we just kind of can laugh about that, but when you can put aside kind of your ideas and, and learn really deeply who an individual is, um, I just love to, um, I love having the podcast. I love to be able to have, you know, autistic guests come on and just tell their stories, tell their, um, showcase themselves and what, you know, they find that the world should, should know more about. Absolutely. And, you know, there's still a long way to go. As I mentioned, I think one of the things that will hopefully develop over the next decade is, Uh, more of a collaborative uh, environment for people who are in a position to treat. Mm. So, you know, right now, uh, ABA professionals are on one side, and then there's kind of biomedical interventions, dietary interventions, just functional medicine as a whole, speech, occupational therapy, sensory integration. I mean, all of it needs to come together, I think. And there's still not enough communication. I'm still shocked when I hear that there are ABA agencies that will um, like almost threaten the families um, if they are receiving biomedical interventions. I had a family reach out to me recently and said, how do I talk to my BCBA about adhering to this diet, which is so crucial to my child? Mm. They just don't care. They don't believe in it. They won't listen. And that is, to me, it's, it's outrageous. Yeah. You know, you that, get a new company, you find somebody else exactly, right there, exactly parent. Mm-hmm. That's exactly mm-hmm. because that is just outrageous to me in this day and age to be closed about all the research and developments that have supported dietary biomedical interventions. It's Absolutely. crazy. And I believe, I think you're uh, agree hundred percent that you're on the right track. Like when we can integrate somatic experiences too, and we can help understand when I started realizing that my son is, and this always sounds crazy to everyone. When I realized that he was sleeping on a moon schedule, that every two weeks he was going to be awake in the night, every two weeks he was going to be asleep in, in the day, awake in the day, whatever. And when I gave into that, instead of fought against it with melatonin and whatever, and all of the lavender baths and blah, blah, you know, all of the things, when I just said, look, I, here's my husband who can eat a meal, fall asleep for three hours, wake back up. Like, wait a second, this guy is, is doing the same thing. Now I can let this child have that same experience in his own time. There's no fighting. There's no, uh, you know, time arguments and you have to go to bed at this time. He's 13. He can get his own items, bathroom, all those things that we still have to get up with him several times when he needs it, but it's okay. Like I've already accepted that part of it. I stay home with him and our life is built around what they're how we can serve them. Like we've already had our childhoods, right? Now, how can we help them and serve them to have the best they can have for now? So, but it's, yeah. And I think that that's hard for a lot of families because they don't, they're, they're so set on that society's, you know, nine to five or whatever kind of time frames and diets. Like you said, when we, um, a, a sister-in-law reached out to me when DJ was maybe three and said, look, I saw this Dr. Goldberg, I believe was his name at the time. You probably, you know, I saw this, it, it, go look at this website, check it out, see what you think. And I said, well, 
I don't understand why we can't do this. I was a medical paralegal at the time. So I dove deep into the, well, why, why does it stop it? Why is gluten different? Why is casein doing this? Like what's happening? Why, if we take it out, what was causing it? What was it doing in the first place? And for me finding out that, you know, it was all protein inflammation based that it was so interesting for me to then go aha and have this understanding of what was happening in my child's body. And then to see that response when we took the gluten out and he stopped spinning, we had, we got to take all those pads down, you know, like I had said at the beginning when he was reading and writing at two years old and was writing things like escalator and gorilla and was, you know, just this huge vocabulary when we took that case and out. And in the first week he spoke nearly 50 words. Yeah. I mean, like, and yes, he's still autistic. He's still an individual. He's still himself. Um, but now he has a limited and now he chooses to do that. He doesn't want things that have gluten in him. He doesn't, he knows that it gives him a stomach ache or whatever. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like any other, you know, we, we forget autism has this tendency. It's such a powerful, big word that it has this tendency to overshadow other things that are going on. That you know, the fact that a lot of our kids have gluten and casein intolerance really has nothing to do with their autism. A lot of other people have gluten and casein intolerance as well. And it's almost like someone who, let's say my husband has a peanut allergy, right? Pretty significant. Mm. Like imagine if he had to go through life eating peanuts. And this is what I'm saying. Like it makes sense to remove those things that we are either allergic to or not able to digest just because it makes us feel better. Yes. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such an important part of it. And I can't tell you the number of people, parents that I've met over the years where their child had very, very severe GI issues, for instance, gastrointestinal, and they were told, oh, this is just part of the autism, kind of, you know, you got to deal with it. And it isn't. It's you have to take care of those individual things. Another one that you talked about is sleep. You know, when you figure out what is going on with your child's sleep, like you figured out his schedule, that's so vital. It just reduces the stress level of the family so, so much. Yeah. 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 It's so important to understand what's causing the symptoms in each child. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of learning that I'll keep doing, right? I'm continually learning. Oh, me and- too. Listen, yeah. I, I'm, I'm like more than, you know, I'm, I'm like 40 somewhat years into this field and I'm learning every day. I promise you. <laughs> It's a puzzle. It is. And we learn so much as, as we go on. Yeah, for mm-hmm, sure. Definitely. And I look forward to the day when DJ hopefully has the cognizant, maybe conversation skills to explain what his autism is like for him to me. And yeah. you know, what if, do you see graphs in your head? Like how, you know, like I want to know yeah. like the real yeah. stuff that's going on. You know, he's explained to us that he has, um, I always pronounce this wrong. Synthesis. Yeah. Is that, is that how you say that? Yeah. He sees, um, colors, uh, for, 
he sees colors. Is that yes. correct? For, yes. for sounds um, and things like that, like tones, he, he sees colors. And so he can tell us, um, you know, just the, the fascinating world that he, he can uncover for us. And hopefully- Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The way there's no question that the way they perceive the universe is comp- very different and, and it can vary. I mean, it is definitely a spectrum. I have children whose memory is so astonishing that, you know, they are able to remember extreme details of events that occurred years ago. Yeah. I have children who are, have an incredible ability to mathematically calculate things into the future. I mean, and as you said, children who are just, they, they perceive things in a different way. They organize things in a different way in their brain. And so it's, it is fascinating. And I'm sure one day we will have enough of those individuals telling us how they're seeing the world so that, you know, we can bring it together. I hope so. I think it's so interesting and I've loved being a part of it. And right, you know, at the very beginning, I was already fascinated with early childhood education. So I just really wanted him to learn as much as he could right off the bat. And Boy, I didn't know it would go so fast, but <laughs> yes. so we'll we'll find out now that we know. Like um, he phased out of high school at twelve, and so now we'll be finding our, our new paths in the possibly in the gifted community. Now that I've been yeah. introduced yeah. to them through you know um, yeah so yeah. I mean, I have I, I've had a couple of kids. One of my kids uh, finished high school uh everything at the age of nine and actually then just continued on Khan Academy online yeah. and then he you know and I have another child as well who both of them were so strong in pattern analysis this might be something that your son's going through that they later were able to help work for the government in regards to you know patterns and things that they see in in central intelligence so yeah there's no and a lot of our kids as you know are just fantastic with things like computer skills and robotics and all of those areas and i know it's interesting that i see the world changing in that way as well where i feel like some of the skills that our kids have will be will become even more valuable as the world changes and and technology and machine learning and that kind of analysis becomes more and more vital to our everyday lives yeah i agree and so hopefully we can work on as just a nation and a community you know the transition processes for adults the accommodations in the workplace for adults and just really understanding um how we can serve an individual on an individual level and not yeah. just in, in a group you know kind of a setting so um, so you have a book coming what else is in the future for you well it's i just i'm so glad that i get the opportunity to tell you about this uh podcastathon that we're planning to do uh, you know, and it's funny because we, uh, Shannon Penrod and I, as you mentioned, my uh, the host of Autism Live, and uh, she is she and I work together, and of course, she also hosts my show, Ask Dr. Doreen. But we decided a, a while ago, maybe a month ago, that we would like to do a kind of a marathon podcast, which is also on video um, and live. 
for 44 hours. And we selected 44 because at that time when we chose it, it was one in 44 <laughs> just last week, right? <laughs> yeah, and we committed to this. And so we started planning this. And this podcast-a-thon begins on Tuesday. Uh, I'm sorry, on Thursday of next week, which is April uh, 4th, April 4th. And it begins at 3 p.m. Pacific time, and it will go straight for 44 hours. So, and it's on Autism Live and it's on all social media. And we love to have people join us because it's going to be amazing. I mean, we have so many incredible guests coming and Shannon has done a tremendous job of getting it all scheduled. She's fantastic and we'll be there. So please, please come. I'll be there on Thursday morning, 7 a.m. Uh, Eastern. Um, I think that is the 6th or the April 6th. So yes, definitely be sure to make it because my guests are going to be the Global Autism Project and wow. how they are creating a curricula for uh, underdeveloped countries to have resources for autism. Oh, that's awesome. That's terrific. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of work. I'm doing a lot of work with folks in Saudi Arabia right now. Um, I helped set up a clinic in Dubai many years ago. uh, uh, One of the other presenters on uh, during the podcast is also my dear friend, Ilana Gershlowitz, who I helped them set up their programs in South Africa. So yeah, I love the fact that there are folks working on on uh, providing resources because honestly, other countries are very pr- quite far behind where we are at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to support everyone we can. And, you know, when I came into this journey, um, it was very isolating and lonely. And now I've found this huge community that I'm a part of and feel seen and heard and loved. So, yeah, Yeah, we're so, so thankful to have you here today to share this with us. Tell people where they can go to find you if they'd like. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, I have a website, Doreen Grandpiche. You can look me up. Um, also, there's uh, we just discovered it's 13 years that Shannon and I have been doing my show, Ask Dr. Doreen, and all of that every week for 13 years. So all of that is on YouTube. If you go into YouTube and just put in Ask Dr. Doreen, you'll see tons of video footage. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And I answer questions live um, on those uh, social media, but also on my show, which is every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, um, Ask Dr. Doreen. And I love doing that. It's my uh, favorite thing to do. Um, And I love being in touch with the families, learning from them and also trying to help guide them as well. Oh, thank you so, so much for all you've done and all it's you such a pleasure. to do. Yeah, it's just an honor to get to know you. And I hope I can go and just follow you on all those so we can stay in oh, touch. Oh, for sure. Of course, we'll and- stay in touch. I'd love to come back and talk Please. about other things. It was lovely. It was such love a pleasure. That. Really oh, thank you so, so much. Thank we'll you. definitely be in touch. Sounds good. Thanks so much.